You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm shaking my booty. Hi, I'm JL. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. And you know what? I was actually looking at the right place then when Lee introduced <laughs> himself. <laughs> Hardly surprising, really. Um, oh, we have an email. Well, not an email, a message on Facebook to kick us okay. off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to read that out. It's from Declan May. And he says, um, episode 48, The Cybermen, was once again a great episode. Oh, thank God. Wouldn't have known... Oh, you don't believe him? No, I said thank God. Oh, oh no! It was the one after that that was the yeah. disaster. Oh yeah, that's right. We seem to be, <clears throat> we seem to be at the moment. We're going through a period of good episode, bad episode. Star Trek. It's yeah. like, oh, it's, it's like Schrodinger's, <laughs> Schrodinger's blue box podcast. Yeah. It's like Amy's pregnancy. A good uh-huh. episode, bad episode. Planets was directed by William Shatner. <laughs> This episode of the Blue Brox podcast was brought to you by William Shatner. And his girdle. Blue Box! Shall I just... Oh no! Can you imagine the uh, punch-up that um, William Shatner and John Pertwee and their girdles would have had <laughs> if there had been a... And the wigs. If there had been a... If there had been a Star Trek Doctor Who mishmash back in the early 1970s. Hey, that can still happen. Well... That was the thing that got me about the Green Death, you know. That scene where he's running along with his knees knocking together and his <laughs> ankles flying out sideways and his girdle holding him so stiff. He looked like a He looked like a lollipop stick running along. <laughs> You're trying to well, use anyway. the uh the non Pertwee fan. <laughs> we should be making you happy then. Yeah, Mark, I love it. We? Okay, Declan carries on. Declan says, wouldn't have, wouldn't have noticed it was done via Skype had you not mentioned it. Well, apart from Simon's voice going all mad at certain moments, though I would have put that down to the fact that he was doing a Cyberman impression and holds all the editing and mixing tools. But here's the reason I wanted to read... Here's the reason I wanted to read this out. Declan says, and I think this is a smashing idea... For your one-year anniversary, you have to do something wonderful, like, I don't know, a multi-JR episode. Ooh. And get oh David Bradley God. to play a young version. Don't, don't you think that... <laughs> a young version, I like that. Yeah, I, uh, I think I put a comment on that thread, didn't I? Uh, one JR is more than enough. Mm. Harsh but fair. Hey, well, I like the idea of a multi-JR episode, definitely. But what I like what? even more... Pardon? <laughs> what? Where do you keep your ego? 
Well, it's not about my ego, <laughs> Lee. It's about getting rid of you. Um, but even better than the idea of a multi-JR episode mm. is doing something wonderful for the one-year anniversary. Killing them. And we recorded it two days ago, and it's going out one week before the anniversary because the anniversary itself is going to be um, the start of our reviews of uh, Season 7 Part 2. And it's wonderful Ooh. because me and Lee aren't in it. Oh. That's right. That's so why is it, it's wonderful. Actually, it's, it's actually technically you I am. I am because I've done the theme music, but uh, Lee isn't, yeah. so there you go. So, oh, no, no, no. I've reverted back to... No, I'm not going to say, but ah. special <laughs> things are going to happen with that episode. Hmm. Sounds like a brilliant anniversary Lee. story just with you and you, JR. <laughs> Lee has no idea what he's talking. We're talking about, does he? I don't think he does. It's not just me and Mark, Lee. What's going on? Oh my God! If you took any notice of what was (laughs) going on in our Facebook resource, (laughs) you'd know exactly what was going on. He'll he'll just have a nice surprise. I will, or a nasty surprise. I think everybody else will have a nice surprise, but I'm not going to spoil it by saying what it is. Except to say that when next week's episode does turn up, at one point it looked like it was going to go, uh, go out before this episode, because we didn't think we were going to be recording this episode tonight. So I refer to next week's episode in the episode as episode 50, and at the end I say, and coming next week we're going to be doing this episode. So when you listen to next week's episode, and it all seems a bit wibbly-wobbly, that's the reason why. Is it a clip mm. show? It's not a yes, clip Lee, show. Yes, Lee, it's all your yeah. best bits. <laughs> which are loads <laughs> which is why you're not in it there must be a time when we regenerate into each other or something cause oh like my god that sounds doctors, disgusting we? <laughs> and we're you... like four doctors yeah like the and four you doctors. said I was the one with the ego hey <laughs> says Mr Third Doctor <laughs> right we're going to whistle through this because we've got a lot to talk about tonight so mm. let's get on with it Tonight is our 1983 episode, season 20. The season of Uh, beige. The season of... Beige. Oh, okay. Maybe. Um, (laughs) Well, I'm just looking through the list of stories now. I suppose Terminus has got a lot of beige in it. Yeah, maybe that that beige me out a bit, Terminus. Anyway, we'll get to that. Probably. Yeah, we'll get to that rather quickly, I suspect. <laughs> um, what we did, as always, was we voted for the stories in order of our order of preference, added our four scores together, and we're going to do them in reverse order of how little to how much we liked them. So, um, well, guys, I've actually made a table this time, so you can see what we're doing. Has everybody got their table up? It's like being back at school, isn't it? I, I saw it earlier. I saw it earlier. I, I don't, it's a surprise to me, as always. Can't wait. Yeah, yes, Mr. Southall, I've got my table up. <laughs> okay, Mark, what's the first story we're going to talk about? The first one we're going to talk about is Terminus. Mm. <laughs> well, there's a shock, <laughs> eh? <laughs> Can I just retitle it Terminal? You just did. Oh, is somebody that's having an old a, joke. Somebody having a wee in the background. Yeah, sorry about Who? that. <laughs> oh, right, okay. I should have gone before we started. Oh. That doesn't reckon, well, we can't see you, so it doesn't make a yeah, great deal of difference. That's not, that's not you should Terminus. See, you should see one more. <laughs> sorry. Mark, you didn't vote Terminus last. You voted it higher than another story. I what? did, didn't I? That's, but we'll, we'll come to that later. Why? Well, well the other story. <laughs> yeah, because it's well, one yeah. that Lee feels very passionately about, and I don't want to upset him. <laughs> God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Everybody. Yeah. Somebody say something nice about Terminus. I've never, like, um, do you know what? I've never seen it all the way through. It's um, Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that something I nice? <laughs> probably the first two episodes when it was first on, and I've heard such bad things about it, it's put me off. But mm. talking about another episode, very br- uh, another story very briefly in this series, uh, which has been slated, and I recently watched and really enjoyed, but I'll come back to that. So I think I should watch Terminus because I'll probably quite like it. No, oh, is the one that you're talking about perhaps the one that features sequences in Amsterdam? It could be. Oh, mm. interesting. Mm. Well, one... okay. Terminus. Somebody must have something nice to say I do. about well, Terminus. Mrs. Costume definitely improves. <laughs> yes. And the garm is very cute sweet by the end. Who's very the garm? The garm. Yeah, he's all cuddly and lovely. Oh my isn't god, he? the big blue cuddly <coughs> teddy yeah, bear. Yeah, he's blessed. Yeah, there are three. They really. Sorry, there are three. On, there are three things, aren't there, that are quite good about that episode. One is the garm. I don't mind the garm. I like hmm. him. I think it's quite good. Um, if he was CGI'd, and then uh, there was Nissa's uh, skirt loss. That's always a bonus, isn't it? Mm. And um, and the the great costumes. I quite like the costumes, even though they were impractical for the sound team. But uh, generally speaking, those were the three things. I think Mark Strickland must have enjoyed the, the shoot because he spent most of his time on his hands and knees looking at Janet Fielding's bottom. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that must I could I could I could have managed yeah, that. Me too. Oh, <laughs> that's so <clears throat> cheap, Jr. <laughs> oh, Lee, the king of the cheap <laughs> shop. <laughs> anyway, so, back to the look, story. Yes, it's Terminus is. Well, I, I think you just said about the costumes, and I think that's one of the worst things in it. <laughs> and I think what Terminus really <laughs> suffers from, it is the garm. Oh, the those rattly armor things they wear. Oh yeah, no. For yes, the, like I say, for the sound team, terrible. But mm. you know, as a comic, that would look great. I quite like the idea behind it, but I just don't think it was executed very well. Well, that's exactly the point. Yeah. It would look great as a comic, or if <laughs> they'd had the money to make, you know, armor that actually looked like armor rather than you know like a kiddie's dress-up version of armor, <laughs> and a monster that looked like a monster rather than you know a fancy dress monster. Bring him back. It might. It might not have been so bad. I can't. The first episode of Terminus, I think's pretty spooky. Yeah, some cool stuff. When they on. sort of, ma- yeah, when they materialise on the side of that mm. spaceship and nobody's quite sure what's going on, mm. and then there's all that. If you're going to do corridors in Doctor Who, mm. how better to do it than the way they do it in Terminus? And the sequences with Turlough and Tegan, yeah, okay, that's padding, really, getting them out of the story. But I think they're quite atmospherically filmed. Mm. And I don't think it's a bad story. I don't think it's a bad script. I think what it suffers from is a really appalling production. I think Olvir, mm. the character, is quite wet, really, isn't he? He kind of makes Adric look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> wow, that's pushing it. At least a Goddard character is quite good, I think. Yeah, oh, and yeah. to... to... To be honest, actually, if you took those two out, it would probably be a better story mm. because... <laughs> well. You know, Twiggy was offered when that I was... role before she got it. Who was? Twiggy. Oh, really? Do you know, I thought you said Tricky. <laughs> that would have been a totally different episode. Yeah, it'd have been about four as well, I think. Mind you, that's quite interesting because Lisa Goddard, of course, was married to... Colin Baker. And Colin Baker was also in season 20 mm. and then... Just a year later, he's cast as the Doctor. Yeah, what's going on there, eh? Nepotism. Well, interesting fact. (laughs) 
Hmm. Well, mm, all right. Well, corridors. Yeah, it started off quite uh, eerie, quite spooky. And you're right. I think if you're going to do metal corridors, you've got to dim the lights. You've got to make it weird. And unlike Warriors of Deep, which they kind of did the opposite and it didn't work. But it, you could have probably told the entire story in about 25 minutes, maybe 22. Well, there, yeah, but that's true of so many Doctor Who stories, really. Yeah. Mm. You've really got to look at some of those fan edits to see that. In fact, I'll look up a fan edit of Terminus once I've watched the whole thing. Mm, that will last two minutes. <laughs> no, the fan edit... <laughs> be called Tur- fan edit. It will just be the sequence of Turlo looking at Tegan's bum. <laughs> And this is taking her clothes off. <laughs> and then, and then the credits roll. <laughs> that brings a whole new meaning to the word terminus, doesn't it? Stop. What's the next story? Because that's rubbish. Well, I think the makeup's quite good, even if the, the costumes are a bit rubbish. Um, the guys who are what they call the vanier, the guys in the armour, they all look really sort of <laughs> yeah. ill and like they're going to drop dead. That's I think the they point, did a pretty it? decent job of that. Mm. Yeah, and to yeah. be honest, even though it's still ostensibly a kid's programme, but they obviously weren't making it for kids at the time, this Lazarus disease thing mm. that they introduce mm. in this story is pretty scary stuff, mm. really. When I was a kid, I mean, I, I was too old to really appreciate Terminus because by the time this season was on i was having serious difficulties with doctor who uh but even at that age that first episode with the lazarus disease i did find that a bit disturbing mm. screen skin crawlingly disturbing mm. so you you plainly haven't seen jesus christ superstar or um jesus of nazareth and with all the lepers coming out because as a kid that scared me more than terminus ever did or even make me mm. feel a little bit kind of like uncomfortable in the disease area. I definitely feel oh, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, a couple of lepers from the Bible were far more kind of scarily put on screen, dancing to funky music in Jesus Christ Superstar than a couple of moaning extras from Terminus. Nah, not good. One of which is, of course, Kathy Burke. No, really? Oh, <laughs> You're joking. <laughs> the Kathy. Yeah. yeah. Kathy Burke is one of the extras. Uh, one of the extras playing one of the Lazars in no Terminus. Way. Unless that's an urban myth, but no, I'm fairly sure that's true. I'm so going back in. I think Harold Pinter was in that one as well, wasn't he? Who? Harold Pinter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was something else. Wasn't oh, it? Yeah. That was the abominable yeah. snow. Or not, as it turns out. I, I get a feeling. Yeah, that's I get a feeling. One that moment, isn't it? It's, that's one step away from Gary Oldman yeah. being in. Uh... What Harold Pinter? No, Kathy Gary Oldman, the mm. Kathy Burke. Yeah, what? It's his sister. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. I'm sure. Oh my God, <laughs> you were talking about pantomime, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is really funny because every time Simon says yes, it is, and Mark says no, it's not, their faces light up opposite. <laughs> it's, like, it's like yes, it is. No, it's, it's not. Like, it's, it's like, like an old ping. video game. <laughs> yeah, it's a game of pong. Um, yeah. Well, Kathy, Kathy Burke, you sure? <laughs> I'm that's con- brilliant. I'm, I'm convinced. Gary Alban. Are you not confusing her with that uh, lady that's in EastEnders called Layla something? No, no. Okay, listeners, write in and oh, prove me or Simon wrong. Right. Uh, Gary Alban, as in um, Sirius Black, Harry Potter. Yes. Yeah, I'm aware of his work. Yeah. What on earth are you doing, Lee? Just ignore me. It's just reversing you, a large heavy goods vehicle. Yeah. If you hear me whistling, just ignore me. That's my call okay. to my family. 
<laughs> Can we move on? There's... Yes, indeed. Okay, then, the story that we voted second to last in season 20. Um, well, Mark, you've got the thing in front of you, so I'm not going to ask you. Simon, try and guess. Oh. Well, do you want me to give a comedy answer or the real answer? <laughs> yeah, comedy. No, I don't want anybody to give comedy answers. Oh. Too late. Um, King's Demons. It is indeed. What? <laughs> second from last? <laughs> Yep, Get out of the Lansley. room, all of you. Not one of you is coming to Phonicon. <laughs> How dare you? Well, tell us why you like yeah, the come on, Demons, then. Do you know why? I watched it I watched it only two nights ago, <clears throat> and all these years I've thought, well, this is not very good, is it? It's just a couple of episodes. It's all a bit pantomime, blah, blah, blah. And I watched it, and I was watching it with different eyes, because we do have Tony Virgo coming along to the Phonicon thing, right? He, he was the director. So I was looking at it with director's eyes um, and looking at the actors and thinking, you know, I know the story isn't great, uh, but I thought I'd have a look at it in a different way. And in fact, I thought it was filmed particularly well. There's a lot of great little directorial kind of moments that you kind of not you don't normally get in Doctor Who. Certain focus pulls, certain you know shots behind the fire, and all this sort of stuff. So it's a bit creative. And then I was looking at the acting, and actually everybody in it was doing fine. Um, the only reason Turlow wasn't that great is just because he was not written to do anything in that episode. And it is it is literally an annual, isn't it? It's like an annual story. It's just a one pager. It's like okay. The master turns up, wants to muck around with history, and then disappears and laughs in the doctor's face. And it isn't genius, but there was something about it. And I really like the production of it as well, and the kind of the dogs and the little jester and everything like that. It was just a, it was just enjoyable to watch. I enjoyed watching it. I think that's why I voted it higher. And it wasn't just because you know the director's coming. <laughs> I like Gerald Flood. I think he's quite good. Well, yeah, Gerald Flood is, um, uh, you know, he's he's obviously a chameleon, isn't he, in this? Uh, spoiler. But, and the um, king, yes. Yeah, and the king. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. But he's kind it's, of... He's acting he's slightly not... better when he's the king rather than chameleon. Well, <laughs> the thing is, as the king, he has to be the king, but he's obviously a robot. So I think Gerald Flood must have got the lowdown by saying, you know, somebody must have said to him, look, you are a king... Gerald Flood's quite a flamboyant actor, and but could you rein it in a little bit, no no pun intended, uh, to uh, act a little bit robotic? I'm hoping that was the case. <laughs> well, he... There is a... Uh, his performance does have a sort of delightful eccentricity mm. about it, does it not? I think oh, so. Good quote. It's just the, but to the be, chameleon prop just doesn't work, does it, unfortunately? No. And neither does the story, quite frankly. No, Why would doesn't. the master be going back trying to sort of mess around with the Magna Carta? Do you know what? what? Your purpose. Do you know, as I was watching it, I, all I could think about is why didn't they bring back the time meddler for this? This would be a time meddler story, wouldn't it? Not a master well, story. You know. I, yeah. And the the purpose of the story is entirely to... It's like the rescue, the purpose of which is entirely to introduce Vicky mm. back in 1964... And the purpose of this is just entirely, or 1965, early 65, but the purpose of this is just entirely to introduce Chameleon. Mm. And then, of course, the guy who designed the prop and knows how to work it dies, One of them. and that's it. Mm. Nobody else knows how to use it. 
It it was yeah. I mean, there's a whole when you look at the disc, it's it's, it's a good disc like all top two discs are, and it explains the problems behind Chameleon, and and they all just say how much they hated it. Um, I think my personal it, favorite anecdote is the one where they're talking about him trying to do this speech in Planet of Fire, and it gets to the point where he's supposed to have this kind of mental breakdown, so they've programmed him to start shaking violently. But it gets to the point that he unscrews his hip joints and collapses in a heap on the floor. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole thing just falls apart. <laughs> no surprise, really. To be honest, Chameleon makes K9 look like Bonnie Langford. Oh, oh well. Um... <laughs> hey, I like Bonnie Langford. In terms of the jumping about and the liveliness. Oh, right, oh I see okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And if the entire yeah, go. If the entire purpose of your story, you know that that's not the only problem. But the if the entire purpose of your story is just to introduce a character, you know, then your story itself, your plot, is on pretty thin ice. I quite like the rescue. And poor old Anthony. Well, no, the rescue's okay. But I mean, Mm. I'm not ever going to make any claims for it being a classic. No, no. Mm. but it's watchable. It's a pretty slim story, but at least the story, this is the difference between David Whittaker and poor old Terence Dudley and, you know, the new regime in the 1980s. At least David Whittaker writes a story with a beginning, a middle and an end that makes sense. And if Vicky hadn't been introduced as a new companion at the end of the rescue, the rescue would still have functioned as a story. Whereas the King's Demons, what really happens? Mm. No, I remember, right. um, the story's not good. Yeah, I, I, I remember it was kind of that period where it was like, oh no, it's the Master again. And the fact, <coughs> yeah. I think the fact it was such a, it, it quite a thin story, only two episodes, and and the Master just turned up over this little story. It kind of accentuated how I felt about the master and and the way he was going. Where he was just this idiot that just kept turning up and and just yeah. And and it shouldn't it shouldn't be like it should be an event when the master turns up and that's where they've got it right in the new series. And the fact that it's in a two episode story is so demeaning towards the character, isn't it? it yeah. Is. It, it, yeah. Whether you like the master turning up or not, it's like, oh, we've got to get him in this season somewhere. Oh, there's two episodes spare here. Let's just do something with him there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, really? It's supposed to be an event when the master turns up. You know, yeah. that's what you're trying to that's what you're trying to get people to think about the master, that it's some kind of an event when he turns up and here you are throwing it away. And of course, the other big problem with the King's Demons is that the Dalek story <coughs> was supposed to come right afterwards. Mm. But as it was, the Dalek story got nixed by, you know, the strike and put back to the following year where it became Resurrection of the Daleks. And so King's Demons ended the season. It ended the season with an introduction for a character that doesn't go anywhere and a throwaway <coughs> two episode no plot story for a character who should have been one of the centre points of the season. It's just... It throws the end of the season away. It's <coughs> a bit... It's... In, in certain ways... I mean, I quite like it. It's got some decent actors in it. Frank, mm. Wiz, Frank Windsor, Isla Blair, mm. and as you said, Gerald Flood. Mm. Some nice parts in it. Some nice dialogue. Terence Dudley writes nice dialogue. Yeah, the medieval dialogue is particularly good. Yeah. And even though it's, like, pouring down with rain when they're doing the location <laughs> stuff... At least it gives you a feeling that they're actually, you know, it, it, after 
sort of Terminus and Enlightenment, which are kind of entirely studio-bound, at least you get a sense that the TARDIS has actually gone somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you've got the outside scenes, the medieval jousting and all that, and, um, you know, the, the whole thing looks like an effort's been made on the design. And I think the the BBC always get historicals right, and I'm a sucker for a medieval story anyway. I mean, I quite like the visitation, even though that was a bit, well, pretty flawed. But I really like the look of it all. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was probably just a little bit blinded by the, the beauty of, of the medieval life. Mm. Wasn't the sword play fairly good on it? It wasn't bad. No. The Doctor steps on the Master's sword, which is excellent. It was a great move, and I didn't see it coming, even though I've seen it eight times. <laughs> the only trouble is, of course, no sandwiches. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Call back to Black what? Orchid. That's a, that's a, uh. there's a reference to the Sea Devils, which was the uh, last time the Doctor oh, and the yeah. Master were sword <laughs> yeah. fighting. Oh, Come yeah. on, guys. Don't worry, that of course, came... yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm. I did think about them when they were sword fighting about, um, uh, about the Sea Devils, actually. And Pertwee looking ridiculous eating a sandwich. But so oh, yeah. he even manages to eat it like it's or gummage, doesn't it? It really does. Stop it. He looked brilliant if eating you... the sandwich. That's so cool. <laughs> if you look closely... If you look closely at the start of the second episode, because a lot of people don't notice this, because when there's quite a long reprise between the f- between you know the cliffhanger of one episode mm. and the reprise at the start of the next episode, a lot of people will either sort of turn off during the reprise. Mm. When I say turn off, I mean you know lose focus yeah. a bit, or else they'll just fast forward t- through it. But if you look at the reprise in that episode of the Sea Devils, which is is it episode? three i can't remember anyway if you look carefully there is a scene that was cut from the cliffhanger version on the previous episode where you can see because he's been eating the sandwich john pertwee surreptitiously just undoes his corset slightly and lets it out a bit (laughs) (laughs) they did like to have 10 minute reprises back then didn't they yeah oh the planet of the spiders oh my god if i remember rightly the sandwich looked like it was made out of nimble so i don't think it was um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is more than you can say for John Pertwee oh, <laughs> I feel a bit sorry for Big Bird now in his head in it would have been some blessed anyway like, he can't defend himself no. stop it okay here's something I've just looked up on the internet KGB Answers says are actors Gary Oldman and Kathy Burke siblings no actors Gary Oldman and Kathy Burke are not siblings he was born in New Cross and she was born in Camden they starred together in Sid and Nancy pardon in your face Brett pardon (laughs) yeah they starred together in Sid and Nancy and she was in Nil by Mouth directed by Oldman and that's about it. And his sister's called oh, Layla. I'm She's convinced in... I've heard her talking about it. But anyway, okay. His sister is in EastEnders. <clears throat> is this the EastEnders no, show okay. now, is it? Yeah. Why not? This is the... Stop it, you slag. Get on with Doctor Who. <laughs> okay, who um, wants to guess... At... Who guessed the last one? Was it... Me. S- Simon. Right, Lee, would you like to guess which story out of uh, the 1983 run, because we're including the five Doctors in this, which mm. of those seven stories came in fifth in our poll? Well, anything can happen now the King's Demons is last, <laughs> second from last, whatever. Um, uh, five Doctors? <laughs> no. Well, how would it be the five Doctors? How would it be the King's Demons? Um, okay, what about Mordred Undead? It is Mordred Undead. Yeah, no, I thought it might good. be. Good guess. Yeah. 
guess. I think that's largely because I voted it last. Did you really? Wow. Mm. What, yeah. Why? Why? Why so serious? What's so bad about it? Oh, it's just a terrible story. Oh, we've talked about Mordor and Undead before, but I suppose for the benefit of people who won't have heard podcasts in which we talk about Mordor and Undead, it is just a jumble of elements fighting to appear on the screen together that have nothing to do with what mm. one another whatsoever. The two Brigadiers storylines, what is the purpose of that? I seem to remember last time I we mean, spoke about this, JR, you mentioned the Brigadier touching himself. <laughs> Well, yeah. Oh, this is the this is the Deus Ex Machina to end all Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> in that, you know, Peter Grimwade writes in a whole subplot with a second brigadier six years previous to the year in which the story is taking place, solely in order that he can have the two brigadiers touching one another at the end of the story and shorting out the time differential. I mean, what? <laughs> Uh, he's written in this whole subplot throughout all four episodes just for that it's like really could he not think of a better way to finish that story than having to add this whole subplot in because you know apart from that that subplot serves no purpose whatsoever it's just there hanging around giving Tegan and Nyssa somewhere to go that separates them from the doc it's it's Doctor Who cliche turned on its head, kicked up the ass, dibbled, dribbled in tomato <laughs> ketchup, and sent running around the room. It is just the most nonsensical story in the entire canon of it's Doctor going Who, off on one I love, and it's I love, fun. I love the idea. It's fun. Of the, I love the idea of a Doctor Who story running around the room with ketchup all over its head, screaming, <laughs> covering ketchup in this kind of maniacal way. <laughs> I'm a story. I am. I really am. Ah, uh, well. I mean, it's. I like Turlo. Yeah. And the introduction yes. of Turlo is quite nice, apart yeah. from the music. Oh, I love that. It's around. amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is amazing <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. I think we should see if we can try and uh, get stuff. that for the, uh, the next time we change the uh, theme at the start of the show. I like the pulsating brain, though, I have to say. I did like that. And um, who's the actor who played Mordrin? Uh, oh. He was. David Pollings. Yeah, was it? Did he play from Copper? Robots of Death? He played Paul Sapphire in and Robots Steel. Of Death. Uh, yeah, he did. Yes. Yeah, mm. and he was in the Robots of Death, as JR pointed out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what was he in the Robots of Death? He's a good actor. Uh, Pool. Oh, Pool. Yeah, the investigator who gets robophobia and goes mad. Indeed. Yeah. I like the set of the spaceship. I think that's really good. Trying to think of positives. Oh, really? Yeah. See, oh, now I'm thinking of Lee's beigeness. <laughs> it does. No, it's. I remember it being distinctly red. It wasn't beige. It, well, yeah, you're probably right. It but does I'm just have a bit of beige because it. it was. Yeah. I think it's. Refle- it was a really bland set. It's the reflection of their bacon heads on the ceiling, isn't it? Because they've got <laughs> these little Maybe. <laughs> bacon heads. <laughs> oh dear! It, I just, they I just feel happy have... for chili con carne every time I see them walk on the screen. <laughs> The thing that amazes me is how they can ever confuse him, Mordrin, for the Doctor. Mm. (laughs) I mean, talk about suspend your disbelief, but that's... Yeah. Oh, no. Sorry. Who was it that wrote in and said um, they had vague memories of Doctor Who and one of them was kind of tiny balls hanging off somebody's head or something? And it was this episode, wasn't it? Do you remember that one? Yes. Uh, Yes, it was... um... 
Oh, Sheffield Wednesday fan. Raph. And his name, Raphael, of course. Raphael. Well, look, okay, the other thing we've not mentioned about Mordrin Undead is, of course... The Black Guardian? The Brigadier. Yeah. We've not really talked about the Brigadier. Mm. I did, well, no, I said I liked him, but I probably disappeared we at mentioned. that point. <laughs> oh, probably. Yeah. But, I mean, the Brigadier, what do we think of the fact that they brought him back? He got a lot of the was great. Yeah, he, well, he was brought back because they couldn't get Ian Chesterton in that, right? So, um, yeah. him being in it was like, oh, okay, that's that's a bonus. Um, of course, we see him in the Five Doctors. Him playing Doctors. a school teacher in it. Yeah, yeah we, we, see, whatsoever. we see him in the Five Doctors as well, but I think I prefer him in the Five Doctors than I do in this. But, um, but yeah, maths teacher, mm, that really messed it all up for me. And the, and the, the timing of, of unit and all that, oh, God, just complete mess up. But uh, Nick, Nick Courtney always plays you know, the brig brilliantly and whatever he does. So he mm. play, he obviously got the script, read it, acted it, did what he needed to do, and he was solid all the way through. The fact is he he was reading a script that was actually probably written on the back of a fag packet, um, you know, down the pub, 12 o'clock at night after eight gins. I don't know, it's just, yeah, it's such a shame, it's such a waste. And would it? And would it have? Would the story actually have gained from being someone other than someone we knew? You know, obviously, if it had been Ian Chesterton, it would have been a, it would have been a, even a great, a even greater loss to bring someone back from that history of the show mm. and then put him into a story like that. And also the fact mm. it kind of undermines as well the fact that Brigadier comes back for the Five Doctors as well. Oh, it mm. does. <laughs> when he when he comes in in the Five Doctors and he's back to being the Brigadier after he's been this mysterious school teacher, it just kind of makes your brain sort of slightly wobble and think what am I watching now mm. <laughs> and these stories are so close together it's like mm-hmm. oh it's like is there not a hand on the tiller at this point in the story's production so when was Five Doctors is, where was Five Doctors placed was it the beginning of the season or the end of the season I can't remember the end it, it was after the end. this season yeah okay right mm. oh yeah it was the bridge between the two seasons wasn't it it was a special of course it was yeah. So, should we move on? Is that what oh, we're saying absolutely. here? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Does nobody want to persuade me I'm wrong to have put Mordrin undead last? <sighs> not really. Or are you all <laughs> yeah. now wishing you'd put it last as think, well? Well, you say about you know the story not making any sense, and I suppose there's a few ideas in it which are quite nice. We, lo- I think, possibly you like the the fact that they're trying to um, use the Time Lord physiology, you know, the regeneration and, and the idea of somebody pretending to be the Doctor who's had a full, you know, a bad regeneration. Is that In theory, that should work quite well, but it doesn't. Mm. Do you know what? No, I've never, never appreciated that. The Doctor's got, like, X number of regenerations left, and this is perhaps the story that kind of really cements it as 13 altogether, because in this one they want his remaining lives to save a specific number of them, right? Oh, right. And then they've got this, and then they've got this machine that is somehow supposed to, um, you know, suck out his remaining regenerations and implant them into these, um, what is it, six people, seven people? Mm. It's like, exactly how does a machine <laughs> get somebody's regenerations but out and send them down these wires call, into... They called in the planet from the Savages and uh, just adapted their technology from that one. Yeah. yeah you know, but... see, 
In The Savages, that works because A, it's kind of metaphorical, and B, it comes from a simpler time where you could put ideas like that on the screen, and people wouldn't question them because they were watching the story, not the idea. But Mordrin Undead comes from the 1980s, where things are a little bit more sophisticated. And when you turn up with this big lump of plastic with some wires coming out of it and say, right, I'm going to take the rest of your nine lives, Mr. Cat, and supplant them into these seven friends of mine who happen to be dying, or want to die, rather. It's like, I mean, I'm just staring at the screen at this point, thinking, what on earth is going on? Am I really supposed to accept this? They're, they're using cables because they haven't, uh, you know, invented Wi-Fi yet. It's as simple as that. <laughs> it take eight, yeah, it would take ages to download a regeneration through Wi-Fi. <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's like a, a little machine to steal the Doctor's remaining souls or something. Uh, take yeah. even long, it would ab- take even longer on Lee's connection. <laughs> I'm just yeah. thinking that. But it's just, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I've never been able to wrap my head around it. And, uh, you know, I'll put this, st- it's one of those stories where every now and again I'll get it out and I'll put it on and I'll think, no, I'll just, I'll forget about what's actually happening and I'll just try and enjoy, you know, the pretty pictures on the screen. And about... Halfway into the second episode, I just throw the remote control, and I aim it really carefully so it hits the stop button on the DVD player. <laughs> did it? Uh, did your patience not wear out when it got to? No, I I didn't say I'd put the sound on, just the pretty uh, pictures. So would you well. call it the bordering undead? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Moving Bordering on, no, is- ridiculous. Ooh. No, bordering on dead. <laughs> uh, very good. Yeah, there we go. That's the one we were looking for. Yeah, that. Yeah. Sorry, bordering okay. Undead. Moving. Right. That's really good. Moving. Call it that. Rapid. On. Bordering on dead. Bordering on dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Mark. Have you still got your thing in front of you? Pardon? Take it down. Have you got your thing in front of you, Mark? I have. Yes. Your graph. Oh yes, yes. Oh, yes. you know what's coming next. I do. Then. It's Ark of Infinity. Mm. See now, mm. this is quite a hated story in this mm. season, but mm. we've all voted it probably higher. In fact, Lee mm. definitely voted it. I don't know. Lee's the one who voted yeah. it low, but mm. um, you and Simon, mm. Mark, have both voted it in your top three, yeah. and I voted it fourth. Mm. Mm. Why? So, <laughs> yeah, how has this story that's got such a bad reputation managed to wheedle its way into our affections? I don't know. I mean, the one thing I always hear about this story is the business of Amsterdam, that they just did that for no... And I can appreciate that. I mean, that doesn't work. And there's the, the huge coincidence of Tegan's cousin just happening to be involved in everything. And that side of it is is ridiculous. But then there's mm. other facets of Doctor Who that are equally ridiculous in every... Well, coincidence is yeah. what television, what storytelling, full stop, Absolutely. is predicated upon. I know, upon. casualty wouldn't exist without it. Um, so, but other than that, I, I quite like it. I quite like the fact that it's Omega coming back and trying to come back onto the, you know, into the corp- corporeal state or whatever they call it. Um, you know, and the, I think there's quite a lot to like in it. There's a lot of, um, the, the Time Lord antics that we've got used to, you know, a lot of the fact that they're all pretty corrupt and, and bumbling in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, I, I just did, I just didn't find myself hating it as I expected it to. I watched it mm. maybe a week or so back, and uh, it was nowhere near as bad as people have made out. There's some pretty poor acting in there. The guy who's there mm. with Tegan's cousin is just absolutely appalling. <laughs> um, but while there's some poor act, again, this this to me is a bit like Terminus in that it's the production to a large degree that lets it down. I mean, everybody always bangs on about how Gallifrey's turned into a coffee shop, you know, <laughs> but that's the sets. That's not the story. That's not the script. That's the sets. Mm. And the same is true of Omega's new mask for no apparent reason. They've made him look like he's got a boiled egg for a head. Oh, I love that design. I really like that. It's got that a bit design. of the old HR Giga oh, in there, I think. There was a beautiful mm. Andrew Skilleter um, mm. illustration mm. back. There was. Wasn't it in the twenty, the Radio Times 20th anniversary yeah, thing? Yeah, that's right. There was a beautiful illustration. I thought it was yeah. great. No, I did yeah. as well. I liked it, actually. Yeah, I mm. thought it was good. Yeah. See, I, I like the... Uh, the angles and the juts and the points in the original Omega's head. But I just don't understand why he would have changed his head. Because he would. It'd um, <laughs> be interesting to see what it looks like in the uh, the 50th anniversary. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, I um, said something. Lee, the person who doesn't like spoilers <laughs> and he's suddenly found out something vital about the new uh, anniversary story. Spill the we beans, Lee. Yeah, right. Surely Am we I? know nothing. <laughs> stir, 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 stir. But it's the... The um, great big bird creature that Omega brings with him. Yeah, the Ergon. It's hey, like that's the Garm's brother. It's the Paul. I love the Ergon. He's awesome. See, hey, I, Ergon, I like the Ergon. Garm. Like the Ergon. Ergon and Garm. They they both sound like anagrams for words that don't exist. <laughs> Ergon and Garm yeah. sounds like a new cookery show. It's a comedy duo, or a new detective, a new detective (laughs) series, a A new (laughs) comedy detective series where two comedy cooks (laughs) solve crimes in Gloucestershire with a theme by Ronnie Hazelhurst. Yeah, yeah. One's a chicken, (laughs) one's a bear, and when they met, it was Moida. (laughs) He wasn't a bear; he's a dog, isn't he? And when they met, it was Menu. (laughs) (laughs) Ergo and Garm. Do you know, the thing is, back in the day, back in the 70s, okay, the 60s were very cheap, and the monster costumes in the 60s, you know, the Daleks notwithstanding, even the Cybermen, the original costume for them just looked like it had been thrown together, you know, in the back of, you know, the back of the Blue Peter set or something. Mm. But in the 70s, when they made the monster costumes, Mm. they actually managed to make them look... They managed to make the fleshy bits look like fleshy bits. They managed to make the metal bits look like metal bits. You know, the armour. They managed to make the fabric bits look like fabric. <clears throat> but then you get to the 1980s and the monster costumes, whether it's supposed to be armour or fabric or flesh, it all just looks like plastic. JR, mm. just two words for that argument. Gel guards. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, I don't know. Everybody says that about the gel guard. But, but actually, I think you stand a gel guard next to an ergon, and the gel guard <laughs> looks fantastic. I, I've got to be honest, actually, uh, Mark. He's right there. You know, if you look yeah. at the, the if you look at the effort that's gone into each bubble on the gel guard's costume, um, you know, it, it could almost be signed. 
you know each one is just so beautifully done you could you could sell those bubbles separately in some magazine and uh you know like hello or something and buy one of these bubbles for 49.99 get it signed by the designer beautiful and then you go to the garm and you go to the ergon it's just like you know you've gone into the tip you've rummaged around found an old guitar in a microwave well let's stick that together that'll do I'll tell you what yeah. the, um, the, the Garm looks the problem... like is, um, you know, uh, in Scooby-Doo, the movie where Scrappy-Doo gets com- transformed into this big monster. Mm. He looks like the same thing's been done to Basil Brush. <laughs> Pretty much. You know, the thing it's about the film. problem with the gel guards wasn't the costume, it was the way they yeah. move. Mm. You see them in photographs, they're fantastic. If they could have got those actors to try and glide around a bit like the Daleks, mm. rather than bobbling up and down, they would have been awesome mm. yeah a little bit of there's also something. um there's also that point where peter davison stops playing omega you know when he's he's transformed into a copy of the doctor yeah and he's running around away from them and then all of a sudden there's this point where all of a sudden oh completely different actor playing him okay that's fine because you've also got peter davison as the doctor in the same shot yeah yeah oh no no you mean at the end when it comes back to ian collings yes you know, the guy who plays Omega in Ark of Infinity, Ian Collings, is the guy in the Time Monster who played... You've lost Lee again, Mark. Oh, Do call him back? He's the guy who plays... Um, is she called Thea in the Time Monster, her brother? Oh, I can't remember the names. But in the Time Monster, do you remember the first four episodes in the laboratory and there's the comedy brother and sister who are doing the experiments for oh, the but, master? But are they really brother and sister? Well, they are in the. Sorry, I'm going the back fiction, to my Kathy Burke thing. Sorry, it's um, Ian Collier, and he's the guy who plays Omega in, yeah, uh, right. and that's who you see. Unless I'm very much mistaken, that's who you see at the very end. Now, is it me? I was, I was watching it and listening to Omega's voice when he had the mask on, and sometimes it sounds like Peter Davison, and other times it sounds like the other guy. Is is that just me, or is it always the other guy until he takes his mask off? I think it is, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it just sometimes it sounds like Peter Davison doing like this big, beefy voice. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure unless there's a. Re- I can't remember the last time I watched it. I can't remember noticing that. Mm. There could be a reason why it goes to Peter Davison, but I don't think there is. I don't think it's Peter Davison at all until. No, because they dub. Um, you know, they, they dub the other chap's voice over the top, don't they? And Peter Davison kind of lip syncs. Oh really? Oh god, point. I can't remember this. I don't remember this. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. It's well done, if I remember right. <clears throat> Do you know what I um? Y- y- last time I watched Dark of Infinity, which is probably when the DVD came out, and I put it on expecting it to be awful, and I think I just watched Time Flight as well because the two were in the set together, and I put it on expecting it to be awful, and you know it's written by the guy who wrote Keeper of Tarkin. Mm-hmm. And I put it on and I just thought, okay, the production's not doing this any favours, but there's some nice characters in here and there's some decent actors playing most of them and there's some nice dialogue for them to get their, you know, to get their acting chops around as well. And actually, I ended up enjoying it so much more than I expected. Probably doesn't hurt that you watched it straight after watching Time Flight. No, absolutely. But then, you know, apart from the fact that there was a nine-month gap... That's what a nation basically did, isn't yeah. it? It's true. So <clears throat> strange that 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 box set. Do you think it was an odd choice to stick those two stories together 
in that way? Well, there was a reason initially. Is that because uh, no one buys time was... flight on its own? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, basically, it is. One of the things that they tended to occasionally do with the box sets was try and sometimes stash stories that otherwise just wouldn't sell in with other stories to make them a more attractive proposition. If you look at the fact that, for instance, those two stories separately would have had an RRP of 20 quid each, making 40 quid, but as a box set, the RRP is 30 quid, so already you've got 25% off. Mm. So there's one, there's one reason. Another reason is that box sets tend to be thought of as a nice thing to have. If you had a choice of buying a single story that you didn't particularly like, or two stories in a box that you didn't particularly like, the two stories in a box might be a more attractive proposition. Mm. But then, of course, the actual reason is that Tegan gets accidentally left behind at the end of one story, and in the second episode of the following story, just by coincidence, they happen (laughs) to find her again. Yeah, so she goes off, has her hair done, and manages to pick him up again. It's quite clever, really. Well, that was the purpose of the... And she gets out of that stinky uniform. My God, it must be really humming by now. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God for that. I'll tell you what was nice about that, is that because they hadn't put it about that Tegan was leaving, when she gets accidentally left Mm. behind at the end of Time Flight, it is a genuine surprise. Or at least it was to me. I think it was to most people. Mm. And then when she comes back, you know she's coming back because they've not made this big thing about how she's leaving. But then when she comes back, the brilliant thing about that is not that, you know, they find her by accident and all this kind of stuff. The brilliant thing is she doesn't turn up until the second episode. So an audience, and because... They're planning now on doing the series on consecutive nights or two nights in the week. So they know the audience isn't going to have to wait that long for the second episode. But they just tease it over until that second episode. So the people watching the first who know that she's not gone, the actress is not gone and she's coming back, will be thinking to themselves, or am I wrong? Mm. Whereas the wider public, you know, 99% of the audience think Tegan's gone. Mm. They've not read that she's back. So when she turns up in the second episode, even more of a surprise because the natural place would have been the first episode. Mm. Anyway, we seem to have definitely lost Lee now. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's gone off with the fairies. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait to hear the recording of what's going on at his end. <laughs> oh yeah, you can stick that on as a yeah. <laughs> an easter egg like he did last time okay let's move on to the story that came in in third place, third place. and you know what Lee who's not here and I was going to quiz him about this but he put it third last but so did you Mark whereas I well Simon put it second and to me Snake Dance is far and away the best story in this season so Mark explain to me how you got it third last I think my issue with it is i know we're supposed to be judging the season but i really like the original mara story um and i don't think this lives up to it i think kinder's much better and that's it um i mean there's, did you not... there's stuff to like in it um i like martin clunes i think he's very good in it play because you marked things like mordrin undead you know, higher than this, an arc of infinity higher of this, higher than this. 
which I just found astonishing, really. Snake Dance, to yeah, okay, fair enough. Obviously, these are all personal mm. opinions, but Snake Dance, to me, is head and shoulders above all those other stories. Yeah, maybe at a moment of madness, but I think, I don't know, I find with these sorts of things, your opinion can change depending on how you feel that day and what you've been watching. And I mean, I've put it on uh, note before that I used to really love The Horns of Nyman, then I hated it, and now I love it again. So maybe I'm just in that period where I'm not that much of a fan of it. So you're saying you're fickle? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, a fair comment. I, um, I, I give Snake Dance points for bringing back a creature which you wouldn't necessarily expect to come back. And I, I, I like that. I like the fact that it kind of expands on the on the myth of the of the uh, the Mara. Um, and it does. It properly expands on it. Yeah. Unlike, you know, for example, generally speaking, like Cyberman stories and maybe Dalek stories, where they don't really do an awful lot to expand a mythos that already exists so much as they augment it by giving it extra bits that don't really have anything to do with the original. You know, I'm talking about things like the introduction of Telos as well, in particular. Mm. And, you know gold against the chest plates all this kind of stuff but actually the two mara stories the second mara story builds upon what you've learned about the mara in the first story mm. Mm. and it builds upon it in a brilliant way it gives because in the first story the mara is the creature of the inside and it's the only planet we've seen it on and it's not from that planet and we don't really get to learn about how the mara exists and you know the this empire that the the Marans have that the Mara has kind of been behind that you learn all about in Snake Dance. Kinder, you've kind of got a tiny facet of that, and you don't really see anything of the bigger picture until Snake Dance. And when you get to Snake Dance, all of a sudden that tiny facet that's in Kinder is kind of a fully realised three dimensional world. Mm, mm. I just think it's brilliant the way it builds on that, and the writing is frankly just as good as in the first one the characterization is astonishing it, Christopher Bailey's probably the only person during the 1980s who properly did characters and stories well, that's right. yeah, it's that a, actually worked together it's a fully realised world and it's not just a carbon copy of what happens in Kinder at all, it's a, it's no, a completely absolutely. different culture so you get to see how the Mara interacts with a completely different culture hmm um, and it's you know, and at no point is that to the detriment of the first story, no, or of the Mara itself, and it's not to the detriment of the second story either, no, because no. it feels logical. I mean, if you if you think about, uh, say, uh, a modern example like the Weeping Angels, where um, the it, second story is definitely to the detriment of the absolutely, first. absolutely, and that just doesn't happen. No, uh, do you find in a lot of these it's, things it's the law of diminishing returns? Yeah, but that's exactly what doesn't happen mm. here. It's the complete mm. opposite. I know some people don't think it's as good as Kinder because it's not quite as mystical. Yeah, I think there's a there's a different atmosphere to Snake Dance. I think they've brought over some of the ideas from Kinder. So you in Kinder, you've got the I forget the character's name now, the elderly lady who's blind. And she's like the, the sort of the, the tribe leader. Um, is that Panna? Yeah, that's right. 
and then you've got a similar sort of character and as much as you've got the sort of the um and again i forget his name but like the buddhist the old spindly buddhist guy who's just kind of he really only appears in in little snapshots doesn't he they've they've tried to bring in that sort of mystical side of it but i don't think it works as well in this one as it did in in kinder the thing about the way snake dance deals with the mysticism is not so much that it it is a more minor part because snake dance is building a world in which mysticism is not the be all and end all unlike in kinder where obviously it was but i don't think that's to the detriment of the story because snake dance isn't about that anymore snake dance is a story that's about something else that kind of has that as a holdover Mm. from the first story and because of the involvement of the mara and uh, just i just think it colors i just think snake dance colors in its society so beautifully and so it's so well developed so well rounded so well built that you can immerse yourself in it and the hangovers from the first story don't feel like hangovers they just feel like a natural part of what's going on in this story i think you can it's one of those sequels where i don't think you need to have seen the first story necessarily to understand it not even remotely i just think it's wonderful Mm. it's about one of the very few stories in the 1980s that i'd say that about the world is quite nice the world is quite nice the world is painted well um, but it does feel very studio bound, which is always a shame. I think that is the problem. That is the problem. Uh, but is, is this the one with um, Teague and with Ribena all over her mouth? Or was that was that in Kinder? <coughs> that was Kinder. That was Kinder. Does she do it again? I'm, I'm yeah, kind of I don't know confused. actually. Oh, she could do. I can't remember. Didn't they have the set from A Song for Europe as like the main set in this as well? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds a bit like an urban myth. No, no, I think it's in the info text when I watched it a while ago. Mm. When you say the set for this, which one the do you mean? Dance. What the, the, uh, the one the where the, like the village, the one where um, the village square. Or no, the one that Martin is. Clunes is like the sort of a palatial uh, yeah. home. I think that was. Oh right, yeah. that's when I said which Sorry, set. Yeah. I meant which set in the story. Oh, that was the best part of it, wasn't it? <laughs> Well, you got the oh, you got the, little, the hat with the uh, the faces of delusion on it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And Ma- Martin Clunes. Before we move on, Martin Clunes is properly good. Oh, in I did this, say that, as is everybody. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he plays yeah. a he plays the kind of spoiled um, brat pretty well. Doesn't indolent he? is what he plays. Yeah, somebody who's never been given anything to do, and eventually just kind of wanders off and gets involved in this whole thing just because he's bored Mm. Mm. and that to me if you're going to have somebody who gets involved in villainy and you're going to say oh why has he done this evil thing oh it's because he's evil to me that's less realistic than saying why has he got involved in this evil thing oh because he was bored he's a spoiled brat who's never been given a job to do in his life he's bored he's gone off and he's got involved in this thing Mm. Yeah, a bit like the Eternals. Yeah, yeah, but we'll come to that in a minute. But Mark, you were about to bring up something else. Was I? The six, the six. Oh, the six faces of delusion. What a wonderful mm. moment! A little bit on the nose, isn't it? But yeah, but I didn't get that when I first saw really? it when I was twelve or whatever. No, I don't think so. No. I mean, I got it just before. The doctor said it, the sixth face is, you know, yours. But up until the moment he puts the hat on his head, 
It never struck me. Hmm. So, explain, Mark. Well, they talk about the uh, the hat being the six faces of illusion, and the uh, the <laughs> expert or whatever his <clears throat> name is says, "Well, of course they're wrong because there's only five faces." And he proceeds <laughs> to put it on his head, and his face is the sixth yeah. face. <laughs> yeah, that's genius. Did you get that the sixth face was his face before he put it on his head? Yeah. Who mean? No, I didn't. No. Simon, I can't remember. <laughs> I remember I just <laughs> too busy just eating his tea <laughs> yeah this is it Dunkin' Biscuits oh don't get me started on that again that's the one thing I missed doing Skype is Mark's Biscuits <laughs> sorry I went to school with a guy called Dunkin' Biscuits <laughs> not Mark Biscuits <laughs> I didn't really I am no. talking utter rubbish of course that was good acting <clears throat> I did go to school with a girl called Emigration no. no way. No, he didn't. I did. That was a genuine name. Oh. Her, da- her dad was one of our teachers, and we—I'm sure I've told this story before. Maybe not. Maybe not on this podcast. <laughs> her dad was one of our teachers, and you know he was a woodwork teacher, I think. And we just used to go into woodwork, and and you know look at this guy and think this is a guy whose surname is Gratian, who called his daughter Emma. <laughs> that is pretty good, actually. It's better than. I hope neither of them are listening to this. It's better than the two that I knew. I knew one called Toby Chug, which I thought was quite amusing. And then, um, <laughs> well, uh, seriously, yeah, I know. And the other one was Wayne. Well, you know, I'm going with this Wayne Ankin, and uh, he is around, and he was quite hard. So I'm not going to take the mic. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> we only ever realised when his name was up on a board, and he was in, in goal, and they just put his initial, and we were like, "What?" <laughs> 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 no, but nobody said anything because it'd have killed you. <laughs> yeah. Right, let, we've been going for about an hour. Yeah. Let's get on to the story been. that we voted second. Oh no, you've not because you've been missing. <laughs> you've been making a cup of tea. The story we voted second, Lee. Oh, right. Um, there's two stories left. So which one of these came in second and which came in first? It's tricky because I don't know which ones you've been talking about since I've been gone. Well, I think you can guess the last two left on the list, surely. Um, one begins with E, one begins with well, F. Well, I, yeah, yeah, but I think maybe, see, that, hmm, it's tricky. You may have gone for the obvious, which would be a bit sad, but I would like to say it's a five doctors second. What do you mean you may have? You were a part of this vote as well. <laughs> well, I voted it second, so I'm going to go second. With what? I'm going to say it's in second place. Five Doctors. I've just asked you what's in second place. Oh, Didn't I just say that? The Five Doctors. It's in second place. Five Doctors. <clears throat> okay, what do you think's in first place? Enlightenment. Okay, Simon, would you like to have another guess? Yeah, I think the Five Doctors is first. So, yes, Enlightenment, second. Mm. Mark, would you like to reveal the truth? It's actually a dead tie. Oh, no! Really? <laughs> that's, that's not so bad, boring. really, is it? That's not bad. Actually, but I tell you that's, what... That's a, that's a right result, if really... <clears throat> I think. Mm, I think it's so probably. as well. Oh, I don't know. I think they should both have tied for second place and Snake Dance should have been first. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it wasn't, was it? But, but I did not need to toss a coin this week. Mm. And here's to find out which one we were going to talk about first and which one we were going to talk about last. Because it's always been my criteria that if you get a tie uh, for first place, Whichever of the two stories has most first places amongst the votes. And one of the stories has got only one first place and two seconds and a third. And the other one's got two first places, a second and a fourth. 
So the one with two first places we shall save and we shall talk about the other one first. So, Mark. Yes. Well, 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 which one have we so going to talk about The second now? place story is The Five Doctors. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, hmm. two people voted Enlightenment Top mm. and only one person voted Five Doctors Top. No. Oh. And I'm not to blame for any of those things because obviously I voted Snake Dance Top. <laughs> so where should we start? Well, yeah, Five Doctors. Well, Simon, you voted it Top, so... I did Tell us well. Why. I know it's an easy it's an easy option. It kind of wins by default in my head because it is just a great big ball of fun. And if you're asking me to be passionate about a story, then I'll be passionate about that because everyone's there in one place. There's some pretty hokey stuff. Oh yeah, it's bloody awful in places, but there's a <laughs> yeah, there's a lot and... to like in it. I mean, yeah, it's no three doctors. But it's better, no, but that's, it's why, better that's than the, the point doctors. I was just about to make. <laughs> the last time we did this episode with season 10, three doctors, I don't think any of us had a bad word really to say about it, mm. which is not something you can really say of the five doctors in spite of how much fun it is. I am a mm. sucker for the multi-doctor stories, and I, I do love this one. Um, I'd certainly rate it higher than the majority of the, the stories in this season, and that's how I voted. Um I love watching Patrick Troughton on the screen. Doesn't matter what story, he just lights up the screen with his presence. Yeah. His acting is fantastic. The pairing of him and Nick Courtney, I think, is really good. I think that's. Of course, that wasn't the one that was supposed well, to no, happen. Well, no, that's right. Was it? Um, I think they'd intended for um, the Brig and to be with the third, yeah, doctor. The third doctor, and then you can have Sarah Jane with the fourth doctor. But then, because Tom. Didn't oh, want didn't to do it, up. then they kind of had to have a bit of a rejig. Okay, some things about the five doctors. Uh, one thing that I really like is the plot. Mm. 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 The because I mean, if you're going to get your doctors together, you've got to come up with an excuse to get them in there, and taking them out of their time streams and plonking them down in the death zone and having them find their way into this sort of mystical citadel in the middle of this, you know, magical death zone. Mm. What a great idea for a story. Well, it's, I mean, uh, I imagine I'm not a writer, so I, I don't know, but I would imagine it, was, it would have been easier to write something like The Three Doctors and it would, would be The Five Doctors when you've got such <clears> a, a massive cast and you've got, every, got to give everyone their own time in the spotlight. And the and fact that brilliant. all the characters a, have to be changed regularly because people keep dropping out and then being added in, so it must have been a nightmare to write. Yeah, yeah. To to write it in that way where they're all coming from different directions, they've all got to meet in the middle is a brilliant idea because mm. you do literally get that option of going around and looking at all these different stories that are kind of leading into each other, which is a great idea. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It allows you to have as much fun with a concept as you want, as you can afford, essentially. Mm. Obviously, they lost the Auton sequence because they couldn't afford to do it. Uh, yeah, but we got the Waston Warrior Wobot. Oh God! Don't bring. I that love up. it. It's great. Uh, so do I. I yeah. So, so do I. I. Three to one. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> go on. Can any of you explain exactly what it is about a man in a leotard who just jumps? That is so brilliant. It's the fact well, he takes out a whole bunch of Cybermen and just completely yeah. kills them off. It's great. It was. It was yeah. Abs- so it was- does Ace with a oh, yeah. bloody. It, uh, it reminds me. Particle. It reminds me of me when I was younger. <clears throat> That's the kind of outfit I'd wear down the street. 
So come on, Ace takes catapults, the word I was looking for. Ace takes out a platoon of catapult, uh, Cybermen with a catapult. Yeah. What makes the Raston ro- warrior robot better than the way he moves? The way he moves, the way yeah. he shoots out of his hand, the way he is made of it silver. Jumps in a he, really camp. He fashion. jumps in a camp fashion and goes. I mean, you can't beat that. Ace yeah, can't. What? Go. You're accusing Doctor Who of being camp? That's crazy. <laughs> no, I'm not. A, no, you know exactly what I'm saying, Mark. As, as a kid. The cyber massacre was a punch in the air moment. Yeah, it was, absolutely. It was probably at the time. Yes, it's very shallow, but as a kid, it was the best bit in the whole program. And true enough, you know, Terence Dix put that in because Eric Saber because... loves Cybermen and he wanted to do something to kill them off. Yeah. Well, uh... But just because the the sort of grisly deaths of the Cybermen is perhaps one of the most fun bits in the whole story. That doesn't mean that the Raston Warrior robot itself is any good. It's still just a man in a leotard. No, because I think the idea is very... It's very T2 ahead of its time, yeah. if you ask me. It's, it's supposed to be like this yeah. sleek killing machine that is... <laughs> There's no features on it because it doesn't need it. It needs to be fast. It needs to be... That's it. Yeah, okay, that's it's what it is. realised badly, but... Do you know, that's you know. what it is. That's what it is, Sam. It's faceless. It's a yeah. faceless silver killer, JR. That yeah. could take you out as soon as it saw you. How do you know what it looks like? <laughs> it looks like nothing so much as the two robots that the Cybermen yeah. sent to Earth to wander around in the caves at the start of Earth. Ironic, That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is ironic. <clears throat> well, it's either ironic or else it's just really poor judgment on behalf of the production. Well, it's better than the slab. The slab was lazy. <clears throat> <laughs> Oh, maybe, but the slab had to pass amongst the people in the hospital oh. and get away with being human. He's got an answer for everything that's JR, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the reason why I give you answers for things is generally because got them. there's answers there <laughs> to be had. Well, a Raston warrior robot walking around in a, in a hospital, I wouldn't blink an eye, honestly. That's the kind of life I lead down here in Devon. Every time, <laughs> every time they said the slab, it always sounded like it was... It's like the Slav. It's like uh, it sounded Scandinavian. The Slav. Yeah, I don't know where the name came from. To be honest, <laughs> that's a naff monster, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, the five doctors. You've all talked about the fact that it's, it, there are lots of do- different doctors in it. That's the only reason I voted it up top because it's yeah. it's such a massive part of my childhood and nostalgia. And the excitement of this was just through the roof for me when I was a teen early teen mm, mm. so uh, there are so many flaws in it there are so many holes in it. it there's so many you know mild inclines in it it's just the whole thing is not brilliant but why is it so high up just because it's all a bit of fun isn't it really that's, I think that's all I mean, it is what an odd, dis- odd decision to have the Dalek right at the start and one Dalek and right at the start mm. so the Daleks have gone they've, they've, it's almost like they've used the trump card mm. I've got two two words for you Simon Brett right Eric bloody say words. That's right. three. <laughs> three <laughs> words. <laughs> no, it's true. You're right. I think I did. You've talked about Richard Herndon already, have you? Or not? No, no, no. no we haven't. No, okay. You only missed about a minute. Lee. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how fast you talk. You talk. You'd be uh, <clears throat> speaking as fast as the Raston robot moves. Okay. Time moves. It's like Narnia in Kenton. It's uh, <laughs> it really time is. moves at a what different speed. What are you trying speed. to say, Simon? 
<laughs> yeah. No, well, I thought Richard did it. Lee, quite come good out job. your closet. I did that years ago. Um, no, Richard. I thought Richard Handel did a good, a really good job. I mean, as a as a kid again, not really knowing much about William Hartnell at that particular time, um, apart from the Five Faces of Doctor Who, uh, it was it was quite, quite a revelation. I thought, oh, yeah, this guy's really good. It's, this is yeah. exactly how I imagine uh, William Hartnell to be like. Of course, when when we end up getting all the DVDs, we realise he's nothing like that. It's a, yeah, it's true. Different, but. Um, at the time, didn't make a jot of difference at all, and I thought he's really, really good. Be interesting mm, to see yeah. him, how this uh, other chap takes it, um, t- takes the character on uh, at the fiftieth. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, um, David Bradley's a far better known, more well-respected actor than Richard Herndl was, because mm. Richard Herndl would pretty much come out of nowhere to do that. Mm. Uh, the only thing anybody really knew him from, if they knew him at all, was that episode of Blake Seven yeah. he did. Oh, uh, yes, of course, yeah. But, yeah, I agree. He did a great job considering. He was on a hiding to nothing, wasn't he? Cause, yeah. yeah. And I don't think the first Doctor... You know, I think they made the right decision. I'd rather the first Doctor had been represented than not at all. Absolutely. Mm. I thought Susan did well. Uh lady playing susan because it was like time hadn't passed at all um and reassuring to know that yes uh reassuring to know that uh when she was a young whiny teenager she grew into a (laughs) middle-aged whiny whiny. teenager (laughs) (laughs) with a nice mac yes yeah and she did trip over and twist her ankle which was a classic cliche wasn't it which i'm sure terence threw in for a laugh i know everyone goes on about um, Sarah Jane's tumble down a mild incline, but oh dear. Her, her ankle twist oh, is... Caroline Fawns, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awful. Terrible. But, you know, that's what happens when you put Peter Moffat behind the director's chair. I've got to say, I think, uh, I mean, I'm, I, you'll probably agree with me, I don't know, will you? But I thought Pat Troughton and the Brig were, they were my highlights for that particular episode. Mm. I absolutely mm. adored absolutely. every, every oh, yeah. single scene they were both in. They were fantastic. Loved it. That is indeed the minute you missed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll shut up. And you've still got the banter with uh, Trout and Impertwee again. I think that's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah, of course. Mm. And I, I like the um, the, the, the board um, easiest pie bit at the end where they, you know, now we find out what happens when the Cybermen get in the adventure game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what... Um, doesn't get brought up very often at all, but I thought was quite an interesting idea. Not sure if it really came off, but when Peter Davison took over as Doctor Who, he said that rather than take bits from the previous three, what he was intending to do was channel the first Doctor and try and play his fifth Doctor as if it was a very much younger version Mm. of the first Doctor. Mm. And so the second and third Doctor obviously are going to get paired up again a bit like they did in the three Doctors. Mm. But actually, Peter Davison and Richard Herndl get to spend a fair Mm. bit of time in the story Mm. together Mm. as like the older and younger versions of the same Doctor. And I thought that was quite interesting. Mm. Mm. Didn't quite work, perhaps because, you know, it's not your actual first Doctor there and you don't have that history between the actors playing the character... Mm. But it was an, an interesting thing to try. Mm. I feel well, sorry for poor Mark Strickson. <laughs> he gets into the show when it's the 20th anniversary. You think, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a really good uh, role to play here. 
and then spends the entire thing stuck in the TARDIS. With his hands yeah. in his pockets. And he must... Why didn't he change his um, his little outfit? Because uh, that must have stunk, surely, by the by the anniversary special. Why didn't he change his little outfit? <laughs> yeah, his little schoolboy outfit. I thought There was a moment, just quickly going back to King's Demons, there was a moment where he picks up a sword and threatens everybody. And he's a bit cross with everyone. He's like, yeah, come on then, you try it kind of thing. I'm a bit cross now. And actually I thought, do you know what? Mark Strickson's character as Turlow was supposed to be pretty bad to begin with. And then he would, you know, he joined the TARDIS crew. I, I, he has got an element of danger about him. Bit. Just mm. take him out of that stupid outfit and you might be able to take him a little bit more seriously. In fact, you could have done a lot more with him. Can I just say the um, uh, <clears throat> the sequence at the start, right at the start, where they've gone to, uh, oh, what's it called? Sorry, Ivor Ryan. Peaceful Planet. Ivor, yeah, Ivor, Ivor Ryan. Ryan yeah. Ivor Ryan, That yeah. piece of music in the background is my favourite piece of Doctor Who music ever. <laughs> Hum it. it. It just sticks with me, that Is that it Howell? Did Howell do that music? Mm. Peter Howell, yeah, yeah I think yeah, so. It's, it's, yeah. It is nice music, actually. Yeah, but that's a nice little sequence, actually. But it's also like got that. it's also got the worst uh, noise in it as well. <laughs> that bit, you know. I quite it. like that. Yeah. Oh God! <laughs> well, it's, it foreshadows the Mummy, the soundtrack to the Mummy, doesn't it? I think. I suppose so. Mm. If you like the Mummy. No. <laughs> and moving rapidly along. <laughs> You're talking the Brendan Fraser film, aren't you? I am, yeah. Uh, oh, only the first one. one. I thought the first one was alright. Yeah, I quite liked it. No, it's the Hammer Horror Film's best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, one, we voted. Okay, we voted uh, joint first with the five doctors, but two more of us gave this a first place then. So, the story that's actually come out top in our poll for 1983 was... Enlightenment. And, okay, so, it it got only voted into fourth place by Simon. Ooh. Simon, mm. why is this not such a good story? Well, I'll be perfectly frank, it may have come higher if I'd watched it recently. Which I haven't. I do like the ideas though in it. Um, it kind of reminds me of kind of the the that kind of John Ridgway era of the Dot Two comic strip in, mm. in the magazine with yeah. Eternals and what have you. Mm. <laughs> what band was he in? What imagination? That was the band, wasn't it? That you. Were... Well done, Mark. Trust you to remember that one. <laughs> Do that. Oh! <laughs> yeah. I do know I, what I liked about this story. The reason why I voted it top, which I think I did, was the fact that um, a, a, I, I think a really good Doctor Who story is a Doctor Who story that any Doctor can be in and it would work. I can see William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee all doing this story. I could see Tom Baker doing it. I can see the, the latest Doctors, Matt Smith. And every, everybody could take this story. Uh, you can imagine it being kind of updated or even older in the black and white series or whatever. But the whole idea that the ships in space, the Eternals, that 
all of that would work, I think, for every doctor that we've seen. And I just think it's a, a beautiful idea. It's a great idea, great concept, um, and a very interesting kind of well, beautiful design as well. I'm not sure that it completely works with the Enlightenment bit at the end. I just... I remember as a child, uh, as a kid watching it, and I don't remember it holding my attention very well. And so, you know, I must watch it again with adult eyes and uh, and give it another go because I do like the idea of it. Um, so you watch it with adult eyes, you'll find out it's pretty wonderful. I think the direction is very think good in it, even with <clears throat> Auntie Mabel in it. Oh, it's um, Fiona yeah. Cumming again. Fiona Cumming, this and Snake Dance. Oh, what acting, um, set design. Mm costumes camera work all exemplary i really love the lighting of the the tardis console room at the start of this one oh yeah it's so much more atmospheric than the the boring kind of yeah bright brightly lit the only trouble is that is quite a long scene and Mm. it does if you um if you're watching it as part of a season and okay that's how you're supposed to watch Mm. it then fair enough but if you try and watch enlightenment as a story in its own right you know, it's one of those cases of if this were, you know, the, people are always talking about what story would you show, show a stranger to introduce them to mm. Doctor Who? And it's like, oh, Enlightenment, that should be a really good mm. one because it's got a really strong, really spooky, quite sophisticated idea at the core of it. And you stick it on and there's a 10 minute scene in the TARDIS <laughs> at the start reprising all the crap about the Black yeah. Guardian and... And it's like it kills that first episode stone dead. Do you know what? I'd forgotten about the Black Guardian. I know that Enlightenment was the whole point of you know uh, of, of the episode really is to release um, Mark Strickson and all that. But I think um, I think Black Guardian was uh, yeah no you could have easily gotten rid of him. I think out of this entirely, you didn't need that. I think Tegan served very well in this story. Yeah, I think she gets a lot more I... to do, and I think there's actually a bit of. You do see a lot more yeah. of them, well, you? yeah, in more ways than one. <laughs> oh, here we go again. No, but you are right. She's given something to do, and mm. um, the more I look at your name, Mark Cockrum, the more I keep realising it's a palindrome. It's bonkers. Nicely done. Sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> nothing like going off at a tangent, is it? <laughs> what idea. was I saying? Oh yeah, Tegan. Yeah, she, had, she had a lot to do. <laughs> I think the casting's very good as well. I mean, and, and Turlo. Yeah, Turlo, you know, he's still doing the angsty thing about, you know, I can't do it. Yes, I can. I can't do it. Yes, I can. Yeah, yeah, but he's got stuff to say and stuff to do. He's, yeah. he's Everybody's got something to do. Um, you know, even the doctor with his hands in his pocket standing around, he's thinking, he's, you know, trying to work it all out. Everybody seems to have something to do. It's a. Did yeah. you guys know that Peter Salas was meant to be the um, Captain Striker character? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Mm. <coughs> well, rather than Keith Barron. Yeah. Oh, if only. Yeah. If he only. was cast, and they started the sort of production of it, um, but I think they got no further than the initial rehearsals because there was a strike. By the time they got around to making it again, he wasn't available, I think. It's the wrong actor, Gromit. I've got to say, as much as I love <laughs> yeah. Peter Salas, I think Keith Barron did, did the job really well. And in oh, fact, he I, I just it. honestly think he's got that angular face. He just looks so aloof. It works totally. Oh, the Eternals are wonderful. Yeah. Even Linda Barron, she's supposed to be playing it like that, so it works. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I thought she was fine in it, actually. I thought it was going to be embarrassing to watch her, but actually I, I kind of got it. Um, yeah. yeah. And even the f- f- strange twiddly little 
uh, you know, sea shanty music, the electronic mm. stuff that's going on in the background can be a little bit testing <laughs> but actually you know when you listen to it in isolation it is a bit of fun it's quite quite good yeah does another work. thing that's quite different about this one is it's written by a woman barbara clegg barbara clegg oh yeah yeah but how the hell did she never get asked yeah, back to exactly. write more for the series I think on the dvd she did say that she submitted some more stories but never heard anything back oh. <laughs> unbelievable cool. and then the following year you get a f- yeah. <laughs> well, you know what you get the following year. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Barbara Clegg, uh, very good. Quite astonishing. Well, I've got the DVD sat on my shelf waiting to be watched. Right. And um, I've heard various things about this special edition that they did or something it's like that. It's, a bit, very... it's all a bit pointless. Oh. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't care what other people think. I actually quite liked it. I know it's a little bit obvious that it's CGI'd. But do you know what? There's a lot of stuff that they've thrown in and they've added... And I think it works. You've, the thing is, you see, with the old series, you know that the, the effects are going to be creaky. They're all props with a bit of, C, a bit of um, CSO behind it and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, once you've seen them, you've seen them, and it's like, yeah, okay, that's that's Doctor Effects. But actually, I think what these guys have done have, have kind of tried to up it and make it look a little bit more modern. It, it does fail in some respects, but actually I think it really adds to it. And I totally and utterly enjoyed the additional kind of stuff on it. And it needs to be, it needs to have that uh, believability about it, that kind of extra little push, because it is such an ambitious project. And I think it does it well. I quite, I liked it, actually. You might think differently, Simon. I prefer the effects on the original. I knew you'd say that. The effects on the original are all miniatures. Of course. So there's actual, there's a physicality about There is, them. and I know. Whereas there's a physicality like about Mark Strix and the poor lad. Have you heard the story about where he has to jump off the side of the ship? No, go on. They put him on a Kirby wire, like he's in panto for sort of hoisting people around. And, of course, him being the full-blooded actor, he didn't want to just sort of fall off, so he leaps off. And he likens it to jumping off a building and landing with your legs astride a brick wall. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) And the bits they filmed in the TARDIS were the first uh, few bits they filmed after that, and he said he couldn't walk. So he's actually sat playing chess and he's not moving at all. <laughs> that is brilliant. Bless him. I'll have to look out for his expression. Mm. Yeah, so see what you think. Simon. Enlightenment then. Sorry? I was going to say, Simon, see what you think. Let us know what you think about the... Yeah, strategy. yeah, I'll come yeah. back to it. have to watch both of them to, to compare them. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's on the whole that... I, you know, <clears throat> on the whole, season 20 is somewhere down amongst the least interesting of the entire 26 seasons of the, you know, original it's run, patchy, is it, isn't or is it? it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and when it gets, it, I think the trouble is, it never stretches out um there's nothing in season 20 the five doctors aside there's nothing in the season that stands out and says classic or exciting or thrilling or different or in such a way as to draw attention to it i think enlightenment's probably the only one that really stands above yeah, yeah, but I don't, I'm not sure it stands out quite far enough. It doesn't stand it's out like... far enough to to shout classic at everybody, does it? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. shout out. Like... So the audience aren't going to go, that's the one with the ships in space. Even though it's a brilliant idea, yeah. they still won't remember it. Well, the, the, the point I was going to make was, 
If you had Enlightenment in your left hand and Terror of the Zygons in your right hand, and Terror of the Zygons isn't even, by any stretch of the imagination, the best story in season 13. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? What is it then? So... And it's there are other seasons that are bad, season twenty one and season twenty two. But in season twenty one and season twenty two, there are stories like the two doctors, Mm. maybe that are just unmistakably the two doctors. Do you know what I'm saying? There is there's a quality about season twenty that just kind of just kind of a bit flat, (laughs) a bit vague, a bit nondescript, indistinct, treading water. Almost, it's like. Do you know, Eric Sayward's given the job of script editor worst possible time because by the time he's found his feet and starts doing things like classic, whatever you think of the stories, Warriors of the Deep, Resurrection of the Daleks and all the others, all the classic monster stories where they start coming, piling in one on top of another, you know, you'd think season 21 would be the anniversary season. Mm. At least that would work. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Or, <laughs> or you'd think, you know, but he's got this job at the wrong time, hasn't he? He's finding his feet. He's trying to be somehow different. And he's inherited a kind of house style from Christopher Bidmead, where things are perhaps a bit flatter. And he hasn't gone... It's not until the following year that he starts going back and raiding Doctor Who's history on a sort of more regular basis. So, so season 20 kind of falls into... It kind of falls into the crack in between more distinct periods and it's just for me in spite of the fact that we've been nice about most of the stories and i've raved about and we've raved about several of them actually you know it's not a season that's ever in my it's a bit of a table wine season well hence probably why i'm very (laughs) (laughs) i've been very slow in re-watching it Quite yeah. possibly, yeah. and that's coming be, from the Davison fan. You'll be very, oh. you, it'll be very slow watching it as well. I can tell you, mm. it will. You know, you will find you'll be twiddling your thumbs, tapping away on the keyboard uh, halfway through Terminus or Mordron Undead or whatever. It, it, it is very, it, it's, it's stretched. It feels like it's um, butter uh, spread over too many bits of bread. It's, it's spread quite thinly. Beige mm. is the only word for it, isn't it? Really. <laughs> Anyway, I think we should uh, wrap it up now. We've been talking for quite long enough, I think. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting, actually, as we do more of these seasons and, and you know, we'll have a lineup of the best or what we think is the best story of each season and see how they, they work as a run. It'll be quite interesting. Mm. I can see some oh, kind of really have started... match-up coming up here where we've picked, say, ten seasons and then have the sort of best stories from each one up against each other. Mm. Cool. <laughs> That'll get a JR going. Yeah. <laughs> All those stats. If only I'd kept the if only I'd kept the paperwork or the <laughs> files Don't! and I knew what the best stories we'd been voting for. Uh, yeah, were. they're on podcast, JR. <laughs> what is this yeah, podcast you to... speak of? <laughs> oh. I'm not gonna download a dozen podcasts and listen all the way through just to find out what these stories nope, were. but our fans will. Hey. No, they won't. <laughs> I've, got, really I've got them all saved, for God's sake. I can just flick in there, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> oh, I really didn't want to. And on that bottom of the shell. In two weeks, we three, we three, we four will reassemble. Yeah, that was a slip of the tongue, wasn't it? About... What did you mean by that? <laughs> 
What? Well, three. We three. Because you're looking, because I'm at, looking at a screen with three yeah. faces on it, Lee. All right, yeah. thank you. Yeah, well done, Simon. You saved him there. <laughs> <laughs> we four will reassemble, and well, hopefully, if it goes like it did last year, we'll be talking about. We'll have an episode that talks half about the bells of Saint John's, and half about the rings of Akhaton. Mm-hmm. Or however you pronounce it. I suppose we'll Akatan. find out in a couple of weeks. Wow, is that the name of one of them? Akatan. Gosh. Is it? Oh, the names are all out now. I don't know any of them. It's great, isn't it? Mm. you got movie oh, posters and everything. for episode eight's escaped. How oh, is it? Um, yeah, I guess they got it back? episode eight. <laughs> well, I guess episode eight would be named officially in next week's Radio Ooh. Times. And perhaps because, maybe because the Radio Times has gone to print, names escaped out into the world. Nobody's quite sure if it's real, but if it's real, it's very interesting. And if it's not real, who knows where somebody got it? But that's quite an interesting story in itself, then. Have I to say mm. it? Go on, then. <clears throat> uh, it's called, apparently, The Funeral of River Song. Oh, God. Oh, oh I've heard that mentioned before. Oh. Can't oh, they really? have that as the first yeah. one? Well, that's name with. Pardon? <laughs> have it as the first one and get it over with. Well, I mean, it depends to what it relates. The Wedding of River Song, the story had very little to yeah. do with the wedding itself. And it was all about everything else that was happening. The Wedding of River Song as a title was a bit of a red herring, really. Mm. And I suspect that will be the same case here because obviously, after all, we've seen River Song die mm. way back in um, Forest of the Dead, haven't we? Mm. Did you mention before that the Cybermen episode has changed names as well? Oh, no. Apparently, but nobody knows to what. No. I, I was um, <clears throat> talking to a chap on Facebook who, who appeared in that episode and he suddenly, for some reason, called it Revenge of the Cybermen. I thought, well, that's not what happened. No. <laughs> 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 Be interesting if it did. That would set fans alive. Would, yeah, wouldn't especially it? the yeah. new Cybermen wandering around with their hands on their hips all the time. Hey. <laughs> Curse, right, it's definitely time to say goodnight, boys. Good night, boys. Good night, boys. I think Curse of the Cybermen is quite <clears> a good title. I suppose it depends what happens in the story. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Mm. I think somebody said that the title they've changed it to was something that was already in the story. Perhaps something that's even mentioned in the story or is a line of the dialogue that was so obvious. That they said something like it was so obvious they couldn't believe they hadn't called it this in the first place oh. or something along those lines. Carry on up the cyber. Oh, very good. Thank right, you. it's time to go. <clears throat> it is. <laughs> um, yeah, next week uh, it's Mark and I and something very different and very special. And the following week we'll be talking about the first two stories, hopefully. And so until then, it's good night from me. I was JR. I was Lee. I was Mark. And I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. Contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk.
decorative vegetable. <coughs> oh, they've all disappeared. What the heck? Do you know, you sit in front of these bloody computers and you think you've got control, but no, you don't, do you? It's just turned itself off for no f***ing reason and it's configuring itself. Do not turn off computer. Yeah? Done. Take that. <laughs>